This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. No, 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 no,
And I can't remember how old I was when you gave it to me. Probably Uh, 14? Probably 12. 12 was the year I started loading a bunch of things on you. And so I remember reading it then, and then I remember us being pretty excited for the movie when it came out, but I'm sure you had more reservations than I did at that point. Well, I really, I really loved the movie, but I loved it for what it was. Um, Yes. uh, I, yeah, I know there are those, there isn't a way that you could translate Watchmen, the comic book to the screen in a way that would make a lot of people happy. So, uh, you know, what's his face? Snyder? Is that his name? Snyder. I think it, I think it's, it's when he was still good. Yeah. And he just. He just went ahead and and did as faithful a reproduction as you possibly could, and that made me very happy, except he changed the ending. Other than that, I was real happy with it. Right. And so now we're here in a series created by Damon Lindelof, who I love so much from from Lost and The Leftovers. He's got a, a high pedigree. He's one of the ultimate nerd showrunners out there who's extremely aware of everything else that came before him. He's a huge Watchmen fan. (laughs) And now it's this epilogue, this sequel, essentially, set in the same world, but 30 years later, 33 years later, we've got Regina King as Detective Angela Abar, a.k.a. Sister Knight. Shout out to the great Regina King for being the star of a show where she gets to kick ass. And have passionate sex scenes with a man 15 years (laughs) her junior. We've got (laughs) Tim Blake Nelson as Wade, a.k.a. Looking Glass. We've got Don Johnson as Chief Judd Crawford. We've got Yahya Abdul-Mateen II as Cal, Angela's husband. Jake, you might remember him from Striking Vipers, our favorite Black Mirror episode ever. (laughs) And AC, AC, you might remember him from Aquaman where he played Black Manta. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, 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 I do. And finally, (laughs) rounding out the the main cast. He was the music executive? He was, yeah, so it was uh, Anthony Mackie was our main character, and then he was the the lover. Oh, this is the Black Mirror episode. Yeah. Yeah. I thought he looked familiar. I couldn't place him, but that's definitely where I know him from. Yeah, I, I, I'm not surprised that you guys have burned that one out of your memories. Listen, man. <laughs> no, it's like it never happened. It just purged, yeah. It's the whole season, though, in fairness. Yeah. <laughs> Except for Andrew Scott in a sweaty car. That's the only other standout memory from that episode. Mm. And then the final member of the main cast is Jeremy Irons oh. as a mysterious man that everybody yeah, knows is Adrian Veidt, a.k.a. Osmandius. So I'll kick it to you guys. I'll kick it to you, uneducated swine. (laughs) Uncultured (laughs) uncultured swines. (laughs) Without any knowledge of the universe or anything, AC, how did this first episode play to you? Um, It was striking. What was striking to me is the tone, the, the tone right off the bat. Them going to the 1921 uh, Tulsa... Uh, what do they call that? The, the was it the Wall riot Street? on Black, Black Wall, Wall Street? Street massacre? Right. Yeah, it, that was that was a lot to take in, and it was a it was a, it was a very um, visually it, it was it was well done, wonderfully produced and set up. And then you go from that, and then they and then future starts playing, and I'm like, huh, 
I said, Future's playing. And then it's a it's a white dude in the car playing Future. Yeah, a so little diegetic like, use of Future's crushed up to let us know that it's 2019. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, so I'm thinking, what's happening here? And then it, it jumps into this, this scene, which I think was just, it was a really wonderful play on the whole uh, guy being stopped by a cop situation except it's in the exact reverse and just what they decide just how that whole situation goes where you got to call somebody and your weapon is is like locked in locked up and you got to have somebody hit a button for you to take your weapon out that was a wild on itself and i just think overall like in the there were some pertinent uh dialogue in the episode that i really enjoyed regina king had some lines yes so many good lines so many good lines in in the episode and um it it did it definitely left me wanting more but at the same time and we discussed this in the chat and i want to get your thoughts on this man they threw a lot at you they threw a lot in, in in a pilot um, so I, I am very interested to see where it goes, but I'm still trying to process after watching it the second time, I'm still trying to process exactly, huh, okay, this character is this and this character is this. Obviously, Regina King's character is a badass, and, but we have this whole white supremacist angle, which is interesting, don't get me wrong, but man, is it heavy, 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 heavy. So I'm very curious to see where they go. Eden, give me the thing that you like most about this first episode, and then give me your biggest question. The thing I liked most is probably Regina King's badassery. She is fucking crushing it. Yeah. Yeah. Just her whole role, like, I mean, first of all, she looks amazing, and she kicks ass, and like, um... I love that. I mean, at least it looks like we're going to get to see like her, like it's like her home life and her work life. We're going to get to see both sides of it. It's not going to be, you know, just like, like so much of the time it's like we only see a character in a certain role. Um, And especially like her being like a female lead. Like, I think that's, it's always interesting how they end up portraying that so i'm that's mm-hmm. something that like i'm looking forward to all season um the the biggest question i have is probably why are we getting so little of coked out don johnson throughout this whole series it's <laughs> <laughs> just one episode like come on <laughs> no no we're gonna get a lot more don johnson Okay, okay. Because they're going to tell this story the same way they told the Watchmen comic book, and they're going to replay several from different characters' points of view. Okay, that makes so much more sense. I was like... I was already like in love with him, you know, in the first, whatever, 10 minutes of screen time that he had. Yeah, And I was just like... And then, like, of course, towards the end, it felt like he was going to get killed off anyway. Like, it was pretty ominous. Um, Sorry, are we doing spoilers? too late now it's i guess too late. this is, this yeah. is a spoiler rich podcast Let it's also been it. one okay. episode and by the time we're done we're gonna run through about a million easter eggs and stuff so okay okay it's gonna cool, be cool. Really deeper yeah, than like, spoilers here said that, i was like oh wait yeah but so that makes more sense because i was just like he was he's so magnetic on screen and plays off of regina king's character very well so um i was I was like a little bit like, oh no, that's all we're going to get. But I guess that kind of answers my question. It's not going to be just, just that. 
Jake, what did yeah. you think of the first episode in terms of being a pilot? Well, it's interesting when you think of Lindelhoff's pilots, right? I mean, he's so good at starting stories. Um, think of Lost, for one. Think of The Leftovers opening with everybody disappearing and how powerful that imagery was. Um cars just rolling down the street with nobody yeah, driving that, that's a great uh, elevator pitch scene for sure right uh i mean it was so i mean i was a harder seat harder show to stick with early i thought it got better as it went on um but i really because i took a pause on that show and then got back into it and kind of got entranced by it um this was a was a thrill ride i thought though um the opening was incredibly stressful. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, constantly trying to figure out what was going on with all of this disorienting imagery, um, you know, because they're presenting you with so many things from, like you said, it's the masks to the reverse race stuff, the black Oklahoma, um, um we've got the guns locked in the car we've got rorschach masks we've got squids falling out of the sky uh we've got a black couple with white children we've got this vietnam being a state (laughs) so (laughs) red ferations you know it's it 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 remind the thing that you know i'm not a big comic person um, but I love sci-fi and what I was digging going through this was how it really felt like a sci-fi world, the introduction to a science fiction landscape and how they present all these details to you that eventually you're going to come to understand, but you just yeah. have to keep track of them. The scene I found the most entrancing, I think, was the pod. Um, oh, yes. And the interrogation oh, with yes. the mirror mask and the crazy kind of historical images and these, you know, questions you can't begin to understand. Yeah, I knew you um, were going to love. Do you believe the transdimensional attack? I love that staged by the U.S. government. Yeah, I love it. You- <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I was all in. I'm like. I'm- <laughs> I'm in for at least three more episodes if they can in oh, any man. way hold this together. Um, you know, and it, and it doesn't stop. And then and right up to the point where you meet Jeremy Irons, who, I mean, I, this guy is ageless. Like he's riding the horse. He still looks like the Jeremy Irons from 15 years ago. He even does a nude scene. And he's looking <laughs> pretty super incredible. buff, you know, Um so I got to tell you, I'll just do it a quick aside here, but I worked with Jeremy Irons some years ago. He came in to do a reading for a book I was working on. He did a little promo piece for us and I actually got to direct him reading a, a, a little bit of fiction. He was working on a play on Broadway and he rode the elevator up the Viacom building with me. And then as I was leading into the studio, he grabbed my arm to lead him along <laughs> <laughs> you know, like the steady of it was so oh, funny. Wow. Like, so I couldn't help That's but think cool. of him as kind of like an aging man. And then you see him in a scene like this. I'm like, I don't know, man. This guy's unfucking believable. Uh, one of my favorites of all time. But I, I just was, I was enjoying the ride 
enjoying the introduction to the world. I did. I really thought it was a thrilling episode to watch um, and have no idea what any of it really means. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm right there with you because I went in like completely blind. I didn't even realize the movie was like that. I I thought it was a completely different series like that it wasn't the same story as the Watchmen mm-hmm. movie that came out. Mm-hmm. Um, Never saw that. Yeah, I didn't either. But I just mean like, so I was going in basically with like almost no preparation or expectation. And I was like immediately drawn in. And I do love just like, it is like the whole, like it's a new like alternate reality, like alternate universe we're exploring and getting to know. But, and it's like, while like you guys both did say like it's, they presented a lot, like a whole lot of information to process, but it's like, it wasn't hard to follow at any point. True. That is yeah. true. Which like is, them- thematically, it was so. Yeah, I thought it was it's so very concise. Yeah, yes. like it wasn't like Westworld where you're like, oh, I have no idea what world we're in or like what's going on. Of course, I mean it could get convoluted more down the line, but I just mean like for an episode one, I thought it was very, like it was pretty like clear cut, like how it like it was going to be laid out. Well, that is fascinating because as someone who knows. That every single image is referencing something. It was exhausting to watch because I had to (laughs) remind myself basically everything. (laughs) It had been just enough time where I haven't thought about the Watchmen, where I know that everything means something, but I am struggling to figure out exactly what that means. So I, I, I have already done some homework. My dad is more than equipped he doesn't need to do homework because he's got this locked somewhere deep in his brain. But I, w- I mean, I would say there was at least 20 plus things. Wow. Either in the background or mm-hmm. on screen for a second. That's a lot. That okay. are references to the books. All right. You want to go through and you want to go through and talk about the big ones? Sure. Let's go to you, Dad. What was well, before, your? I'd be curious, though, just your overview thoughts before you dive into what everything, how everything kind of interacts with the source Connect. material. Yeah. What, what, what was your general impression of this kind of transformation of the story, if you will, sort of this? Well, it, yeah, it's a continuation, and it's it's picking up. The, the thing that's really important that I realized immediately was he was using uh, – Lindelof used Moore's uh, – Alan Moore's original graphic novel sense of the world is at the edge because of an atomic standoff between the Soviet Union and the United States. And he has replaced that with the United States is at an edge because of black and white relations have gotten us to the point that we are about to explode. Um, And it's not a directly equal corollary, and some people uh, will have a hard time finding it as um, uh, dire. Uh, I found it it brilliantly constructed because he started with one of the most heinous racial incidents in this country's history and showed us – the ramifications 90 some odd years later of, mm-hmm. of that event in Tulsa. Um, yeah. and, he, and he keeps going back to it by setting the event in contemporary Tulsa. He keeps going back to all of the little echoes of it. When, 
when um, uh, Night Nurse or whatever, the what the hell is that character's name? When Angela, when Angela pulls up and she's going to go to her bakery and you see that her bakery is in the Greenwood District and the Greenwood District is the name of the area in Tulsa where Black Wall Street was. So she has right. gone back to a revitalized district. She's mm -hmm. walking up a street. There's some guy with a sign that I hope we find out what it means later. And he's talking about... Um, Oh, crap. I wrote it down, and now I can't find Don't it. Don't worry. I've got it. Move on. Okay. Thank you, Anthony. <laughs> um, and and she passes this amazing mural of yes. African-American people, yes. and the mural is depicting the theater that is the theater that we saw at the beginning of the show, right. Williams, right. Williams Dreamland, which was a chain of African-American-owned movie theaters that were throughout the central and south, uh, south part of the United States in the teens and 20s. And, a pair, and that, you also figure that out later if you actually stop the thing and look, it's the theater where they were watching Black Oklahoma. Yes. So, oh, okay. Okay. So, and then she goes, she goes into her Hanoi baking shop um, and sitting outside Hanoi Baking Shop is one of the most important African-American actors of the last 50 years, Louis Gossett Jr., mm -hmm, sitting yes. there in a wheelchair. Right. Yeah. And you know, he's, he's not only you know the first African-American to win a supporting actor Oscar, he is also chicken fucking George from Roots, baby, and he is an important-ass man in black history in this United States. And he's old as God sitting there and ask your question. You think I could lift 200 pounds? And instantly he just reminded me of your grandfather, Anthony. That's who I thought of in that moment. And you know, what's funny, Walter. I what? didn't even realize that was Louis Gossett Jr. Oh, and I, as a teen, you know, Louis Gossett Jr. was one of the iconic faces in pop culture for me. Cause I must've seen uh officer and a gentleman like 20 times. That's right. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Like, he was the face of like it was like him and the the character that uh, Duvall played in uh, that what was the kid uh, what was his movie uh, the Great Santini you know oh like, yeah they, they were the tremendous depictions of military power hard asses yeah 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 un yeah unfortunately way too resonant on my dad for me to love them quite that much but there we are. <laughs> um, but anyway, so then it's like you're thinking to yourself as you're casting this and you're Lindelof and you're going, okay, I need a black actor that can convincingly play old enough to have been the survivor of that Tulsa massacre. Ha, huh, let's get Lou Gossett Jr. and put him in a wheelchair. <laughs> that was genius. That was genius to me. Um, uh, the clock metaphors all throughout the whole thing because the comic book had mm -hmm. tons of yes. clock and timing and the doomsday clock, the dismantling of the clock, the the play that that Vite is writing called The Watchmaker's Son, which would be about Dr. Manhattan, who you will hear more about him, I'm sure. Slow the fuck down. <laughs> what are, you're just incredible. fucking rattling shit off here. <laughs> Chill out. I'm sorry. Can you not listen fast enough to understand <laughs> what I'm saying? No, you're I'm also nervous. skipping steps. So you if you could just rein it in dad, just a little bit. But, but Maze, Walter's trying to do the one and a half speed. <laughs> so anybody listening on one so and a half speed, their eardrums to. just exploded. Okay. All right. Let's 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 take a breath here. I'm going to run through this plot fairly quickly, and then we will hit all of the Easter eggs afterwards. So we, as we've talked about, we start with the Wall Street Massacre. A child named Will Reeves is watching a silent film where a sheriff 
gets killed. Anything ring a bell about what happens in the final scene? We've got a sheriff getting killed. Mm-hmm. Then he, his parents are trying to secure his escape, and they give him, or they give the people taking him a note. He later emerges from the wreckage of a vehicle and takes an orphan baby and the note from his parents that reads, watch over this boy with him. Watch over, not insignificant there. Then we've got the 98 years later with the futures crushed up. Uh, We learn from the scene that police have to conceal their identities with masks and they have to request permission from a clerk named Panda. Panda secretly already one of my favorite characters in the show. I love him, yeah. (laughs) Just a fucking nerd in a panda suit who (laughs) observes the rules quite stringently. The officer believes the driver to be suspicious when he sees the Rorschach mask, and before he can get his gun released, he is shot repeatedly. Don Johnson goes to see Black Oklahoma. He's notified of the shooting and discusses the 7th Cavalry with Wade. Then he visits the wife of the officer in the hospital. Regina King discusses baking at career day for her son's school. We learn she was born in Vietnam, used to be a police officer before identities were hidden. Then her son runs up and punches some fat ginger kid when he mentions red predations <laughs> on the drive home an alarm sounds and squid rains down from the sky. Her bakery is a front for her bat cave and she goes and knocks out a suspect without even talking to him. We get a video made by the seventh cavalry, all wearing Rorschach masks and quoting his journal. There are nice parallels between the shot of the cavalry in the video and the assembled room of police officers. Guns are released due to the circumstances And the 7th Cavalry appears to be like a white supremacist terrorist organization that comes across as a mashup between the KKK and ISIS, even though we know that the KKK also exists. Angela and Judd discuss the situation. Regina gives the line of the episode, I got a nose for white supremacy and he smells like bleach. The best. We've got the interrogation pod with Wade and this... Reminded me of one of my favorite things from Lost, which was Room 23, the torture room where they hold your eyeballs open and show you propaganda films. And also it reminded me of the room where the architect lives in the Matrix trilogy. It shows images to the suspect and functions as a lie detector test. And then Angela beats the shit out of him in a closed door room and obtains a location. That's a very Watchmen scene to have intense violence happen just off screen and we get the the trickle of blood under the door which is a direct callback and more like the shining dude that was like a flow yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) that was cool though i i I love really like that scene then we get the action-packed set piece at a cattle ranch one of the cavalry opens fire on them in a field of cows with a massive machine gun them cows took it mate oh my god that one (laughs) cow violence wasn't off screen Jeez. <laughs> I was out of Them control. Fuck it, boy. <laughs> His friends escape in a plane. He takes a cyanide capsule. It's another reference to the Watchmen. Judd is in an airship modeled after night owls. That's another reference. They destroy the plane with a flamethrower and crash land after hitting the wreckage. Then we have the Jeremy Irons scene. He's being tended to by his servants. He's using his typewriter. His mate is massaging his thighs while he's naked. They're celebrating his anniversary. His butler gives him a pocket watch, and he announces he's writing a play called The Watchmaker's Son. All of that we can go into in a minute. 
Judd and Angela's families have dinner together, and this really reminded me of The Leftovers. And it's like he's found a way to kind of take a lot of the themes from The Leftovers and crib them into a superhero show, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Angela shares that the plane was full of discontinued watch batteries made from synthetic lithium. Judd calls the governor, decides to go solo to the hospital late at night for no fucking reason. Yeah, that was very strange. <laughs> so stupid, but it remi- it was a nice crossover to Righteous Gemstones with a heavily armed compound. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he drives over like, a Caltrop. It's which- basically Sonny deciding to drive up ahead and get caught in the toll booth. Yep, Absolutely. So he leaves his security behind. He drives over a Caltrop and sees a very bright light. We hear about Sundance and Chief on the radio, and that's another clue that Robert Redford has been president for 30 years. Angela is interrupted by a phone call mid-closet coitus, and a voice confirms her identity and names her father, tells her to go to an oak tree. There's a dope moment where she pulls a shotgun out of the headboard of her bed. No gun release on that. That was pretty That was pretty cool. She drives the tree, the bright light comes back, and then we see an elderly black man in a wheelchair and Judd hanging dead. The black man has the note from the opening scene to let us know that he is Will Reeves, and a drop of blood falls on Judd's badge, which is the most direct homage to the comic in in an episode full of them. (laughs) All right, so that's what happened. Not not too much, not overly complicated like you guys said, enough to... Mm -hmm. Entrance yeah. new viewers. Mm-hmm. And now we're going to run through the Easter eggs. So, Dad, let's start with Jeremy Irons' as Ozymandias. The anniversary that we're talking about is, of course, the, the climax of the Watchmen book, right? It can't be because the Watchmen, the explosion uh, of the, 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 the squid that appeared was in November, and this thing is taking place in September. Yeah, I thought it was just his birthday, wasn't it? Um, yeah, this, anniversary this, though, not birthday. Yeah, yeah, I, I know, but I, yeah, the way they celebrated it, I I thought that it was just they were using a fancy word for birthday. I thought it was like a <laughs> Britishism for birthday. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I want you to look very carefully at what goes on in, yeah. in his. He's got these these very unusual relationship with these two servants, and then there's the one who sure got does. his first at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and he tries, first of all, they've made a cake out of honeycomb and it tastes terrible. Right. And second, he tries to have him cut it with a horseshoe. Yeah, what's going on there? Uh, here's your science fiction kicking in. They're clones because, ah. because Vite clones in the, in the earlier comic book. Um, oh. And he clones animals. And my guess is that Vite doesn't have the kinks worked out in his cloning yet. And he's oh. having to endure oh some of gosh. the irregularities of these clones that aren't working out right. Wow. That's okay. so fucking cool. Okay, and that's they, interesting. Uh, and they call him master, you know? Right. Yes. yes. So, yep. There was definitely something off about that. Yeah, yep. absolutely. Yeah. So the pocket watch Westworld is in effect here. Yes. Pocket watch wrapped in fur. I thought that was awesome. Yeah, the pocket watch wrapped in fur. There isn't a character that owns a pocket watch in the original Watchmen, is there? Yes. It's part of it's part of the story of John Osterman, Dr. Manhattan. Yeah, it's just more Dr. Manhattan stuff, right? Right, It's because he left the clock in the device that made him Dr. Manhattan. Yep. 
Okay. So then the play he's writing is The Watchmaker's Son, which is also about Dr. Manhattan. Dr. Manhattan, you guys, is the little blue man that was on the mm-hmm. news for 15 sec- for like five seconds that yeah. was knocking down a sandcastle on Mars. The sandcastle that he was knocking down is a dirt version of Jeremy Irons' castle. Yep. Yep. Oh, wow. So there's a lot of symmetry between those two here. Now, the thing that's the thing that's really interesting is is that Doctor Doctor Manhattan. It is implied at the end of the the graph of the comic book that he's done with Earth and he's probably going to go to other places. So, is he still on Mars? Um, what's going on and why? This would be fascinating. So, I feel like the- they're going to dangle him for a while. I don't think that he's going to be a, a primary character on this show, but it feels like a big episode, like reveal or or a, or a end of season type show up. Well, he's also too big. He's also too big of a Deus Ex Machina. He has he's unbelievable way too powerful. powers, yeah. so he can make anything happen. You save him for the moment where you really need him. Yeah, I remember him from the movie. Yeah. So that scene, you know, we're not supposed to know that it's necessarily vite but they've announced it they've announced that it's osmandius osmandius is the mastermind behind the events of the comic book and right and we also saw a newspaper that said vite confirmed con- dead. Vite confirmed dead that's the same newspaper that says that the kkk vandalized the statue of liberty and that there was another squid thing in boise so right. we'll, we'll put a pin in, in jeremy irons for now his role is very interesting, but the casting is more than significant that this character is still going to be up to stuff. Um, couple notes from just like the world. There's no cell phones. Everybody's using pagers and landlines, which is an interesting thing. There's also no computers. There's also no internet or computers. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mentioned that we see Dr. Manhattan on the news. Then there's the the, raining squids. All the cars are electric. All the cars are electric. Yeah. Which is yeah. from their their helicopter thing is like a ship or what they call it. An airship. And the airship okay. has to do with the technology that Dr. Manhattan gave to the world once he got his powers. So all of this oh. stuff is the result of Dr. Manhattan. Oh, how okay. about that? Okay. Yeah, Dr. Manhattan or Osmandius or, or yeah. Adrian Veidt, um, right. who is a, basically a very smart like in phil- philanthropist. Do we know what year it is? It's It's present day. It's It's 2019. Yeah, September of 2019. Okay, so Louis Gossett Jr.'s character is 100 years. Well, like 110. He's like 106 or something. He's supposed to be like eight. I don't know how old Uh, he is in that opening scene. Unless he's the baby. Right, he could be the baby. Yes, that could definitely. I thought that as well. We don't know if the baby is male or female, so. Right. Uh, The reigning squids. We're, it's related, but and possibly fallout of the event triggered in the the finale of the comic book, where he makes a giant squid teleport to New York, and then there's a poster of the squids on the wall of the classroom. So the squid thing is commonplace; it happens all over the place, and it's just kind of like rain <laughs> to these people. Uh, we've got the Robert Redford as president thing. And previous to Robert Redford, who's been president for 30 years, it was Richard Nixon, who was on his fifth term in the novel. They Except both appear on a poster in the background of the classroom as well. And Richard Nixon is on uh, Mount Rushmore. 
but you also have to pay attention to the daughter at the dinner table who is reciting the president's and somehow Ford got in there. It goes Nixon, Ford, Redford. It's oh, that's I wonder what that's about. That's super funny. Um, we've got the American Hero Story TV show within the show about the Minutemen, which is a group of heroes from the 1940s. There's the drop of blood on the badge, which is like the drop of blood on the smiley face pin. There's also a smiley face in the egg yolks when she's giving the demo in the classroom. And the smiley face is a big, big thematic image from the comics. Like you said, all the cars are electric. Uh, There's the man holding a sign that says the future is bright. And so that is a counter to the comics where an unmasked Rorschach is carrying a sign that reads the end is nigh. And we see this character in like many, many frames of the comic. And then we realize later that it's Rorschach. The thing that I found fascinating about that sign is that there's it's the, the character on that sign is walking on a cross and is wearing the same color blue that Regina King's character is wearing. And when she walks right past it, it's like the eye goes blue, blue and connects to it. It's fascinating. So the first time I watched it, I definitely missed that Louis Gossett Jr. was in the wheelchair as Angela entered the bakery because they keep him out of frame intentionally, so you don't you don't yeah. get a full shot of it. But he's the one with the newspaper headlines. The Tulsa police motto is Keys Keys Custodiat Ipsos Custodis, which is Latin for who watches the watchman, which is like the slogan from the comic book. And then, like except, I said at the beginning, yeah. They went a step they went a step further. The chief asked Quis Custodia Ipsos Custodias, and the police answer as one, nos custodimus, which means we watch. There you go. So the last thing that I wanted to kind of go in depth with you on, Dad, is the the seventh cavalry here have taken Rorschach's journal, which we know was mailed to a newspaper at the end of The Watchmen. Not a newspaper, a a very far right-wing monthly magazine, The New Frontiersman. So it was because Rorschach's politics were somewhat to the right of Attila the Hun. So that's who he sent it off to. That's very interesting. So Rorschach was right wing and so the adoption of him on this by this white supremacist group makes sense it does make sense rorschach was uh was homophobic and he was racist and he saw all he was also very deeply sexually obsessed with nudity and he one of the things that rorschach keeps talking about is how it's all of this uh, filth and perversion and sin that's on all the posters and all the signs and in all the movies that's part of the thing that's causing the world the world to be so awful that he has to go out there and clean uh when you when you do the issue of watchman that is the the rorschach backstory he has a wretchedly fucked up childhood so okay. oh boy. What, what did you think, uh, Walter, of how they portrayed him in the movie? Oh, I love Jackie O'Haley's performance of him in the movie. He he did everything you could do with that with that role. I thought he was great. Yeah, so did I. Especially at the end, when yes. <laughs> right before Doctor Manhattan killed him. Yep, that was exactly. Very great, very poignant stuff. Yeah. So the interesting thing is that so it, it's clear that the the journal has been made public in some way. 
whether yeah, the new frontiersman yeah. published it or not is unclear at this point but it got out and then it is extrapolated and interpreted and used as gospel by this white supremacist terror organization yep and yep. it's a really interesting like you said it's a really interesting way to take the themes of the graphic novel and extrapolate them into a modern day and like replacing the cold war, which was obviously at the forefront of everybody's mind in the eighties and changing it to race, which is, I think the forefront pretty <laughs> prevalent in people's minds today. <laughs> you betcha. It's a good translation. It's well done. Yeah. 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 yeah the things that about the seventh cavalry that, that, really haunted me are obviously it sees itself as a very christian organization their logo behind in that film is jesus on the cross and then a big arch above it that said that is the lyrics from psalm 65 praise waiteth for thee O god in zion um and it's just it's really super super disturbing and all too believable it's just like yep i can absolutely see this they live in that weird little cross between a trailer park and um, a homeless encampment, and it's called Nixonville with a giant statue of Nixon in front of it. And if you <laughs> notice, if you notice in Watchmen, the American flag has changed. Yep. The, the stars are in the circle in the center, but at the at the Nixonville camp, they're all original American flags without the circle in the center. It's very interesting. So that's oh, like a twist on the. Confederate, the Confederate flag, flag. Mm, and, and the 51st state and the inspiration for the change in the flag design is that they won the Vietnam War because of Dr. Manhattan. Yeah, the 51st state thing was from the original Watchmen that had uh, was was about to happen when that was uh, when that when the series was written. Yeah. Okay, so the the running joke all week was that there's just an insane amount of homework for this show. <laughs> yeah. uh, we we every day we were finding another article or another statement from Damon Lindelof or another video or whatever, and the general feeling amongst us was like, can we just get like two episodes into this show <laughs> yeah. before I have to start <laughs> doing a whole routine after we watch an episode? to break down anything that I might've missed. Um, I already caved and already did, a, <laughs> did that for this first episode <laughs> as is clear, but this is a fun show. And if there's anyone out there that I'm willing to trust, it is Damon Lindelof because I feel like he has the scars from lost and the way that lost was just unbelievably successful and then everybody turned on him <laughs> like th there's hardly anyone out there maybe joss whedon who has suffered more <laughs> from his fans and huh. i he didn't want to do this show he didn't want to spin off the watchman he was approached multiple times as he said in that statement that he put on twitter mm. And he eventually caved and he found Elaine. And this is a very rich text to draw from. As you can tell from all of the Easter eggs, there's plenty of things that you can take from the original and spin off of or create. But like I said, with that one scene, it's about family. It's about like this leftovers style 
interpersonal relationships. So the way that they balance those two things going forward, I think will be very interesting. And I'm pretty excited. Yeah, the uh, the use of Oklahoma, the musical in this was pretty doggone brilliant. You know, the mm-hmm. title of the episode being It's Summer and We're Running Out of Ice. And I literally gasped out loud when I realized that Don Johnson's character is named Judd. Right. Because, right. Ju- because Judd is the character in Oklahoma yeah. who dies. Mm-hmm. And it's right. like, oh, I my God. I noticed that in the lyrics. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, yeah. They, they, the, it's literally to someone singing Judd right or, as the credits roll. Yeah. Poor Judd yeah. is dead, and it, yeah, Poor Judd is dead, which is a song Curly sings to Judd in the musical. Oh, yeah. Why do we think Judd doesn't wear a mask as well? I think because he's more of a political figure. That yeah. was my guess. A figurehead of sorts. Yeah. As the chief, I mean, there, there's already some interesting things going on with the the mask thing because one of the inciting incidents of the graphic novel is the Keen Act, which makes uh, mass vigilantes illegal mm-hmm. and there's a small reference on when they're on the radio they're talking about another keen a senator keen who's probably related to the original keen and so now we're in this world where police have to wear masks so it's yeah. kind of this reversal in a way yeah, from yeah. The senator, original joe, part. senator joe keen was the one who got the original keen act passed and they're talking about his son joe jr running for president the uh, the guy on the radio is uh, the talk radio guy is going about the sundancer in chief and he says if he's going to run for president against redford i'm all for it so this makes me laugh now in retrospect thinking about uh the civil war comic and marvel and how they kind of in a way, you know, bit off of that with the whole superhero registration act, where, yeah. where, where you got Captain America on one side, you got Iron Man on another, and and all these people are forced to unmask and stuff like that. So it's like, huh, it's interesting. All these, all these books do that. It is so interesting that, like, in in something that's that's drawn and and uh, and written that way, and the way that they market it to, I guess, teenagers and you know older older adults there's so much symbolism which yeah. like if you go back going back to Watchmen and you think about the show and all of the symbolism that you guys just mentioned and stuff like that it, it just makes you think about the creativity that it takes to get into something like that it's to go too so deep into the whole government aspect of things and the moral stuff that goes along with that it, it you thinking about how this show um, started off and and this is where we get into the whole homework aspect of it it's heavy yes but it's just so interesting because it's legit stuff while it's superhero yes there's there's a a, a fantastical nature to it there is a lot of realness to what is happening out there today with corruption and things of that nature. So I just found that interesting. One of the reasons why Watchmen is such an important piece of literature, not just an important graphic novel, is that it does what good literature does. It slowly lays out the world for you. It doesn't spell it all out at the beginning and give you a glossary. You have mm-hmm. to pay attention and things are going to come back and you're going you're gonna to be 75 pages in and go, oh, that must be that guy who and then you remember and then to read this lindelof wants you to absorb this world gradually just like the comics you're dropped in and you're gonna have to wait for the pieces to come together which frustrates a lot of people because most entertainment nowadays is spoon-fed to you you know instantaneously at that yeah i mean that's what lost was it took a long time to 
piece to get. I mean, it, if it did at all, right? But correct. Those and first would, two seasons, you're like, when is this all going to come together? But that was the hope. And that's why that's why I think Lost worked, and that's why I think yeah. Watchmen will work because I think it's such a different kind of storytelling than what the vast majority of TV that people watch. I mean, it's not the only example. There's lots of other shows that will still do that. But I, I love a slowly building world where you start to make the connection to your brain is actually working. And yeah. Yeah. In, in books, I call it a flip book. You know, you're reading and then you flip back to that section and you go, oh, I got to read this part again, you know. But when you read the Watchmen comic book, you get to the end of the first episode and you got more questions than answers at the end of that first episode. You, it doesn't all come together until book 11 and then book 12 is all clean up. So. Now, I wasn't thinking watching at least this first episode in terms of superheroes uh, yeah. other than what they were presenting on the television show. Oh, it was a way to survive. But – are we supposed to believe that she has superpowers or is well, she just more like a Batman? The only it real like superhero is Dr. Yeah. Manhattan. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In, the, okay. in the world of Manhattan, in the world of Watchmen, there's only one person who has superpowers. Okay. Bat Batman has no superpowers. Green Arrow has right. no superpowers. Right. Black Canary right. has no superpowers. So right. it's that kind of a thing. Okay, cool. That's a relief to me. Yes. It's a bunch of vigilantes. I, big relief to me too, <laughs> Well, yeah, it's and you're supposed to not be able to tell the difference between the vigilantes and the police. Yeah, they both wear masks. I don't want Iron Man or any of these Captain America type figures. <laughs> no, no I mean, thus, thus far, our masked vigilantes are, you know, um, Sister Knight, Looking mm -hmm. Glass, which is Tim Blake Nelson with the really mm -hmm. cool uh, thing. Right. Red Scare, who is the Russian guy, who, which leads us to believe that maybe um, Veidt's attempt to bring the world together from the brink of nuclear war worked, and maybe there's some kind of cross-pollinization between Russia and the United States, because this Russian dude is clearly on the Tulsa police force. And uh -huh. then I, I love Pirate Jenny. She's the one who's, like, arguing with Judd. Yeah, in the, the pilot. The like she's John, you're gonna wreck the ship, you know. They and then of course Panda, who we're gonna hear a lot more about. I'm all in on Panda. Yeah, yeah. I'm very excited yeah. for more Panda time. And yeah. then the only character that we, the only main cast member that we haven't met yet is Gene Smart's character, and she might be playing a new edition no, of the Silk uh, Spectre. She is. She's definitely, and we're gonna have to deal with. We're going to have to deal with what that represents because one of the biggest things they left hanging in Watchmen was everybody that had been close to Dr. Manhattan got cancer and died. And so now we're going to have Laurie 30 years after the events of the comic book. And so are we going to deal with Jean Smart sick? If she coughs once, you know she's dying. <laughs> well, I don't think – I think that that is uh, – it's with the lithium battery conversation, with the lithium batteries, the synthetic lithium that get uh, – pulled because everybody thinks that they cause cancer i think it's still a misconception it's still a myth that is populated right. from mm -hmm. the the distraction of the original watchman um, and that that will prove to not be true so i don't think gene smart has cancer but Good. yeah I, th I think we're all pretty excited dad i'm just gonna ask you yeah. what is what is the one thing that you want to see from this show Like if you, a dream I, scenario. I want to see Gene Smart be as bad a badass as Regina King is. This old That's ladies fucking shit up. I want to see. I want to see a series that is led by, that is led by two kick-ass women who are over forty. Yes, it seems, I want to see that, that seems to be what he is going for. You know, it's tight. 
and that's the other thing, Jake, about the them not being superheroes. Yeah. Is the tone of Watchmen is very violent. Yes, like, I've heard. very violent yeah. physical action. Yeah, it's not laser beams and right. superpowers. It's beating the shit out of each other. Right. <laughs> so I, I think I there'll be plenty question. of that. I have a question because we've often discussed the depiction of drugs, especially cocaine. One of our was favorite he, topics. <laughs> was, he, was he actually doing cocaine? Yeah, because he was, it seemed to he was be kind of a bluish, a bluish mm-hmm. residue. And I was wondering if it was some kind of chopped pharmaceutical he was, oh, he was ingesting. Oh, like pills. Okay. That might be awesome. Because yeah. it wasn't like a very post-cocaine behavior scene. Yeah, he was pretty chill. Like we He was singing like he didn't have any post-nasal drift, Plus, if you will. And also, like, his his breath control was a little <laughs> bit too well for some, someone that just did a few bumps in the kitchen. Like, I mean, it was a stunning performance. <laughs> I, I was really blown away. I mean, I he was so well cast, and I haven't seen Don Johnson in forever, and so it's always nice when you get... Uh, a, an actor who's resurrected in a in an unexpected role, um, and he killed it. Um, so, but I was just wondering what he was doing. And what was interesting is that, you know, it was kind of apparent. He's like, so it's a known thing that he does this. Yep, yep, yep. But he's not based on a character from Watchmen. Nope, he's new to us. He's new to us. Okay. But we're gonna we're gonna probably get a lot of his backstory. I guarantee you, there'll be an episode that'll deal with him. Well, so can't you, wait for that. So you expect going forward, we're gonna have a timeline that's jumping back and forth. Um, which is the way that the com- which is the way that the graphic novel operated as well. Yeah, I think there'll be a lot of flashbacks. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, the movie did that too. Uh, yeah, it did a lot of flashbacks. Yeah, and I think I think every actor of name that you see that's in this first episode that doesn't do a lot is going to do a lot at some point down the road. Tim Blake Nelson is going to have one hell of an episode down the road. I guarantee you. No, right. I'm already so we, intrigued we may not even see Judd in episode two, so they could keep this going. Yes, and then maybe he appears when we least expect it. Yes, right. that sounds right. about right. But yeah, uh, Tim Blake Nelson's character. Seems to. I couldn't tell if he, uh, when he was doing the interrogation, if he had some sort of power, or like, because he seemed to do the reading himself. Yep. Yes. yep. Which was interesting. Um, yep. But he seems to be set up as kind of a Rorschach type, which I like. Uh, yeah, very much. We are definitely watching The Watchmen. Yeah, absolutely. For Anthony Canton the Third, Jake Hoy, Eden Liu, and my father Walter Mays. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you next week. Yeah.